Hello and welcome to the Domestic Game Podcast, where we bring you the insights and stories of all things American football here in Ireland. We're your hosts, Kelly Dwyer, and I'm Robbie Caldwell. Let's get down to it. So, Kelly, we've got a fantastic episode lined up here today. We've got three of the coaches from the Wolfhounds. We've got Coach Kieran O'Sullivan, Coach Brendan Kelleher, and Coach Andy Dennehy. I'm sure we don't need any introduction for these guys. They are known not just in Ireland, but all across Europe and the wider world. Delighted to have them on the show. Some of you have even come back for a second and third appearances on the show. Guys, welcome. I'm kind of fanboying here right now, so I'm just going to get right down to it. I know you don't need any introduction, but for anyone who's new to listening to the show or even anyone who's new to American football, I'm just going to take it through. Coach Kieran, as the head man, I'd like you to go start with you. The head coach of the Wolfhounds. And it's uh, like, I know people talk about things being an honour and a privilege, but it is. It's a lot of hard work as well. And um, I have the best seat in football in my book. I'm right there watching both Coach Denny and Kelleher work, watching players go at it and I get just the best seat in the host at every game every training session and I love it I go totally fanboy as well <laughs> so easy to do that <laughs> like, it's Absolutely. so so easy yeah 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 Andy we've had you on before but sure give us a another wee introduction to who you are what you're about yeah I'm Andy Denny I'm former quarterback and coach for Dublin Rebels where I was there for 18 years I was also briefly head coach at UCD and I'm still assistant coach at UCD at the moment and I'm currently offensive coordinator with Amsterdam Crusaders in the Netherlands. Perfect. And then Brendan, we'll move then on. Then moving on to the dark side, the defense. <laughs> How's it going, guys? I'm Brendan Keller. I'm, I suppose, the defensive coordinator with the Cork Admirals and lucky enough to be the defensive coordinator with the Wolf Hunts well for the last year. So really enjoying it. Good. Well, we're glad to hear that. That's what you want is people enjoying what they're doing or else uh, you probably wouldn't be able to give half the amount of time that it takes to give to it and honestly I can only imagine the amount of time okay cool so Kieran, we might start with you with the first question so this is our, our Irish Wolfhounds episode which we're so delighted to do and we obviously have you know this in the context of the world games and the the upcoming uh, international fixture against team Spain but can you tell us about this team tell us about the history of the team you know where it started who we've played for anyone that kind of hasn't been following it up to this point well, there's been there's been Team Ireland's in various uh, guises and setups going back as long as we've had football, really, league football on the island. So there would have been in the noughties a Team Ireland, which was like an all-star team. So it wasn't quite the, the sanctioned national team um, that we have today. And we would have played in a couple of those games against visiting teams, US colleges and so on. And, you know, that was from a very small kind of the formative years of the league, if you like. So there was always kind of this genesis or this need to have a national representation of some kind. You move on then, 2012, I think it was, the Gathering Bowl was happening in Ireland. And there was a lot of high school teams were bought across to play games. And as part of that kind of preempting it or, or opening it, there was a midweek game for a traveling team from Manitoba, the Falcons. And in short notice, the league back then decided to facilitate a game, an Irish U team to play against this high school aged Manitoba All-Star team. And I think we had about three weeks to put 
everything together. That's from selecting players. Oh. Yeah, it was fairly intense. So uh, John Judge was the head coach and the late great Terry Lynch was coaching on that. And I was asked to coach the offense for some weird reason. And we went out and we beat the Falcons in a midweek game, uh, setting a couple of milestones in terms of North American teams, you know, including scoring, which hadn't happened a whole pile when you're playing up against NCAA teams. It's a little bit difficult. So it's from that that really kind of energized the drive to have national team representative and a kind of a, a seed of belief that it wouldn't be futile and there would be results to be had. Uh, you push on a couple of years later and it was a senior team Ireland, it was called at the time, starting out and traveling to play the Dutch in a friendly game and starting to make moves towards and preparing for European Championship football. We went out and the game was called a halftime or just after halftime because of a horrendous lightning storm that, to be fair, lasted the entire night. I mean, it was just all night. I and remember. Safety first and all the rest of it. But yeah, so that then was it was wound up it kind of suddenly and almost inexplicably um, when we returned. A line was drawn under that version of Team Ireland. And it was, I think, when the association kind of rebranded and started to move forward again it was launched again and Eleanor was bought on board Orla McAleese was the, the general manager beforehand absolutely fantastic work there and she went on to become president of the association and kind of was a, a massive ally for the, the national team programs not just senior flag but or senior but also flag and youth football as well so there's a massive driving force behind what we're doing today definitely so yeah alan came on board and the branding of the wolfhounds was there it's it's a normal thing for all our teams have kind of with the exception of some of the college teams but it's always like the cork admirals the dublin rebels that so we're the irish wolfhounds and it's a good fit for us actually you know it's 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 working for us it's a good image and i think the guys like it and you know we're just yeah. big hairy friendly playful and vicious at the same time <laughs> Sorry, I just want to cut in there. Everyone forgets, but there was a national team in the 90s. So Ireland actually took part as well in a Four Nations, right? There was a Four mm-hmm. Nations Championship, like the Six Nations at Rugby. Four Nations Championship, but our, my brother played in it. The quarterback was Eddie Goggins, who, quarterback of the Irish team was Eddie Goggins, who's now the UCD yeah, coach. That's and his, right. son, his son is on the Irish Wolfhounds as a linebacker at the moment. He's on the Irish Wolfhounds squad. So, like Kieran says, there's been a national team basically since there was football on the, this island. I mean, it dates back to the early 90s. There was a sort of reformation of the league at the start 20, 22 years ago, but it was going before that as well. Wow. Yeah. And we beat Wales. I think we beat Wales in 1996 or 1997 or something. <laughs> we need to get all this written down. I'm glad that at least somewhere there, there's going to be an audible record of it, you know, which is great. And Kieran as well, you're bringing back so many memories, even when you're chatting about Orla McAleese. I can't say enough about that woman. I just think she's amazing. And her legacy as just continues to this day. And I really think that her one of her biggest priorities was the Irish Wolfhounds, was the Irish national team, and she had a vision for it. And as someone who was primarily, I mean, I was refing at that, I think it was league ref at that stage, but I was a spectator first and a supporter first. And these were my friends. And to this day, that's still why I'm involved is because, you know, the guys that are out there playing are my friends and I care about them. And I could see 
a switch with them when this team started, you know, where they were kind of taking this as, yes, a sport that they were playing, their core sport, but definitely something that was fun, you know, definitely something that they could potentially fall out of in a year or two's time. And then when this team started, that changed. It suddenly became something that they can go out and represent their country with this sport that they love. Like they have a reason to remain involved. They have a reason to prioritize going to club training. Do you know what I mean? It just completely changed the focus of those fantastic, fantastic athletes. The best athletes we have in the country from, yeah, I could easily fall out of this in a year or two to actually know I'm going to commit to this and I could make a name for myself on an international stage. I think it's been, before we even started, I think it's just been absolutely fantastic. When you talk about that, you again, I go back to like uh, 2012 and those young guys who showed up. This isn't driven from the top, like Orla and, and the work she did and, you know, the coaches. It's not driven by us. It's driven by the players who want this. And yeah. players here don't get the same sort of breaks or attention that you get in either other sports here in Ireland for being part of the national team or yeah. from the association like the first game we played that 2013 game we played that in Tullamore Phoenix jerseys it's not like all of a sudden you're walking in and you're you're getting decked out in in swag and and merch and the whole lot and all that it's not these guys and to this day it's not like that it's uh you know it's it's a real dedication and it's a difference maker when we come up against other federations where you know the, the players are are kind of spoiled you know we we I know the federation would like to be more generous and and all the rest of it and that's been worked on but it, it really is kind of player driven players want it and players are willing to sacrifice for it on, on, on a lot of levels and and that goes back to and, and andy's right i mean there were guys that played in the 90s who for ireland and you you would see these jerseys just popping up randomly like with ireland on them that was another spur that there was something before that people said right if it happened before it should happen again yeah and kind of drove it on as well like you know so yeah yeah we're here yeah. now, so let's keep it going. <laughs> this is it. And yeah, it's true. It's still very much in its early days. It's still very much in its trailblazing days. And trailblazing sounds great, but actually trailblazing, when you're the first to kind of do things and uh, when you're trying to carve that path for something that could become so fundamental and so big in the future, it actually does mean sacrifice. That's what it means when you're trailblazing. It's actually not an easy, an easy road. And you don't need to tell us about how our players don't get enough attention in media and stuff like that. That's kind of why we started this was just to make that point that there is an appetite for Irish American football in media and that's proven by the listenership it's not you know we're not we don't do this because we're like oh we're going to be deadly it's again it's the same thing the point is the listenership the point is that if you make something that focuses on Irish American football people are interested and particularly I think in the in the like the international level like we, we have like that international an international team now that's going to go into a world championship so focusing then on the the world championship which is the context for this what is this competition you know we were doing a little bit of research rob you found a bit on it it's you know the information is kind of few and far between it seems to be four pools of the ranked teams in the world and then there's some additional teams into group b and we fall into that group so what i can actually talk you through this kelly from my (laughs) in-depth research from ifaf so there's the four divisions. Right. In Division A, there was formerly a Russian team. However, due to the ongoing uh, war in Ukraine, the Russian games are no longer going ahead. The Irish Wolfhounds will be playing their upcoming match against Spain. 
the winner of the Ireland-Spain game will play the winner of the Turkey-Israel game. And then the winner of those two games will play Germany. And then the winner of that third game gets promoted into Division A. Now, correct me if I'm wrong on any of that, but according to the IFAF website, that's all they were giving me. Yeah, that's it exactly right. So there would have been a lot more teams in Division A, so it's kind of sobering to think, but you know, Ukraine, Belarus were in Division B with previously. Germany are in Division B for technical reasons. Yeah. So there would have been Belgium, the Dutch, you know, there would have been a few more teams there, but federations are coming out of COVID and obviously for our colleagues in the Ukraine, there were technical meetings very early on this year where conversations were being had with people from like shelters and stuff like that. So it kind of puts a lot of it in perspective that, you know, why are there only four teams and you've got COVID and, and a war. So we're lucky in many regards and everything we complain about and regardless of results, we're lucky. And that's it. So it's a turbulent start to the European Championships for sure. And it took a lot of time to iron out and, and make the competitions committee had to work really hard to make something competitively of value um, out of the basically five teams uh, competing in Group B. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at. And yeah, so, so fortunate. And like that, like it, you can have a, you know, a thought for that. But, you know, as coaches, you're going to coach and you're going to focus and once all that is sorted out, it's like, yeah, we have a healthy respect for the global issues. And then we get down to our coaching and we get down to playing and then we want to win. You know what I can well, imagine? There's another element to it as well, which is, is it's not just about winning this game, then winning the next game. And then we, it's like even competing in this, it's seeding and ranking for the next European Championship. So even by participation, the better you're doing it, the higher you finish in the league table. That's how you're going to be ranked. Ranking points from previous competitions won't trump those so people coming back in won't be coming back in it's our understanding anyway at, at a higher level so there's a lot to play for across all levels yeah beyond just pride ranking points are important and they make draws a lot easier and they make negotiating home field advantage a lot easier going forward so yeah huge amount to play for then and then this upcoming game in spain on the the 22nd of october so this is kind of a question for all three of you and you can choose how to answer it you can overview it or you know andy you can focus on offense or brendan you can focus on defense whatever but this upcoming against uh game against spain how much do we know about spain going into this game i'm just going to give an overview of it like spain have a massive history in, in the sport it was one of the host nations of NFL Europe, a lot of infrastructure was put in, in place and they still have some of the most competitive teams in Europe based there. So it's, it's got a strong, strong tradition of playing football at a high level. But again, like everywhere else, you've got a COVID break that kind of has like a glitch in the continuity of, of football. So it's hard to judge where we're all going to come out of it. We went into it on the back of two wins. It's hard to judge and, you know, so much will have changed in terms of personnel and, you know, it's the same for us, but it's hard to say where Spain are now, you know? Yeah, I think we have to just, like, assume Spain are going to be a really competitive side because they've historically had a lot of great football. They had uh, an NFL Europe team years ago, which is using the same name. Now the Barcelona Dragons are there as a ELF team, European League of Football, which is the highest level there is in Europe. 
And they've always had teams like the Badalona Draxi, you know, in the interim period competing at a really high level and, and various others. So it's hard to know, like Kieran said, I mean, there's been no games like that. If, if they scouted us, they'd be looking at tape from years ago. So no one really knows. It's kind of like game one of the season when you're not really sure what the other team is up to. They could have changed coaches and changed players and just be doing something completely different. But we should assume that they're going to be an extremely competitive team because like anytime there's a big team like an ELF team there, it raises the standard of the players, not just on that team, but usually they're coming from clubs and they and they, they bring back knowledge to those clubs and just raise the standard of, of the whole league itself. Just to put a little bit of perspective of how, how much football is there, besides the fact that you will see dedicated football fields in a lot of cities over there and municipal areas. I remember going to Barcelona 15 years ago and there was an American football equipment store wow. on the main street in Barcelona. Like not selling fan jerseys, selling actual equipment. So that's just uh, about the culture of it. We're all kind of looking into this void, like, you know, that's, that's been created by COVID and nobody really knows what's going to emerge on the second side of it. We'd, like if this was three years ago, we'd have a probably much closer idea to who people are and what they're doing and they would have that continuity with that break there exactly what Andy says like it's like game one of the season and the Super Bowl kind of all wrapped into one game you know where you kind of have to be ready to kind of try and play your best football straight away which is obviously pretty difficult and when you're looking at a team like Spain with the history the guys have talked about there obviously they got some phenomenally competitive teams fantastic athletes playing over there and then the lifting has just added another dimension to it in the last year as well where obviously the closer you are to something like that to a setup like that the more access you have to it, that has to be feeding into the whole league and the whole country as a whole. It has to be raising the bar. Like even something similar probably happens with, with us and we get together more and we talk more and there's probably more of a of a learning goes on through our own program with something like that there where they have the continuity of it for a whole full preseason, a whole season of how many games that has to be um, has to be doing a lot for for their whole their whole national, you know, not their national team, but their whole local leagues that are that are kind of feeding into it and probably feeding back out of it as well. So we've kind of talked there a lot about, you know, Spain and what to be expected or what, you know, how we can't nearly expect anything. Any of the game footage that anyone has from either side is over two years old. Uh, Spain as a country, they've got a team in the ELF. They've got a great history of having American football in the country. But now we also look to our team, how the Wolfhounds, like how it's developed and how the players within the Wolfhounds have developed themselves as well. We're no longer just a team sort of primarily based from three or four different clubs. We even now have our own players playing right around Europe, whether it be in Finland, in Belgium, in France, Germany. You're talking about the knowledge that ELF players can bring to the Spanish national setup. What about our own players who are playing for these other European teams? Surely for ourselves, that there is also bringing us back quite a vast wealth of knowledge. Yeah, for sure. Not just knowledge. I think if you sort of inject a couple of these players, like if, if they go play in GFL 1 for a year, even if not more, the level of coaching they get there at club level, you know, they'll be training multiple times a week with awesome positional coaches. And that can just take them a level above really what you can get at our and even with like the best Irish coach, you just don't get that at that amount of time. And in some cases, they'll have NCAA players, NCAA coaches coaching them a positional level. So when they come back, yeah, they can pass on a certain amount, although I'll be totally honest, it's slightly limited if they're only interacting with people at the handful of national team training sessions we have. But it's more just having them in the team just give level of smoothness. 
that you don't really get unless you're talking about the apps and we are the absolute most elite athletes in the irish league so you get these sort of amazing athletes who do themselves have really good technique but when you inject a couple of these guys in everton just clicks way better personally i can see the difference this year we've got more i'd say we've got more homegrown players who are playing in foreign leagues in the current national squad than we ever have before we definitely have and you can really see the difference that what they bring to the squad and it's it's awesome to see and also the fact that these are just irish lads who played on teams i've played against them uh or with them and they're able to compete at a really high level and they already were that good yeah should have gotten better from playing and being coached up in those teams but they were good enough to make it just from what they got in ireland like i think the irish league sometimes is real like irish inferiority complex you just sort of assume and maybe because we're an island and it's harder to just you can't just like in amsterdam there's a lot of guys who play gfl but they just commute from amsterdam over to to nearby german city to play that's not a, an option in Ireland. So you don't really get that exposure. You know, you'd have to be flying across just to play club games and train and that sort of thing. It's not, it's not really an option. So we just have this sort of mystique of these higher levels in Europe. And, you know, they definitely are really good. But I definitely think there's a lot of Irish players who are good enough and we probably undervalue. And I think we probably, we were definitely confident going into the two Belgian games that we played. Definitely confident. But we had no clue of what we were capable of. You know what I mean? And if that was against Belgium, who were an established side and they played a lot of games. And, and we won both of them. Yeah. You know, and looking back, I sometimes think we, we could have made life's hard, life harder on ourselves in those games a little bit. You know, like we, we genuinely had awesome talent. So, yeah, like there's a certain amount of knowledge being brought back. But I think it'll really kick in when those players return and start playing club football again. Yes, that's probably where they'll see probably the, the biggest difference is at the club level. And actually, that's just so helpful across the board because then they're playing with other players that are have only played club level and it just raises it really all the way around. So that is, it's actually so, so exciting. I think I have my, my board member hat on at the minute where I'm chatting with you and the whole, this context of having this goal to achieve, to play for your country and to be on an international stage and what it does for the future of American football and what it does at club level and all of that. I, I just think it's class. And, you know, even as I'm chatting to you the whole time going, I know it's brilliant. We're in a really good, a really, really strong position. And then Andy, you touched on the, the previous games against Belgium, which we won we won both I think the first one was in Navan and it was what 2019 and then the second one was over in Belgium and it was seven six I remember and I think you were QB for the first one and then Stephen Hayes was QB for the second one so let's say what did we learn let's say from those games and where are we now with that I think particularly the the second game was more of a defensive battle, you know, definitely wasn't an offensive blowout, let's say. So what did we learn from those games and how do we use that going into this game against Spain? We're less in the dark now than what we were. Like yeah. coming into Navin, it was very much in the dark. Like we were kind of getting the whole thing together, not really sure who we had. Um, we kind of had to find out who our squad was and that was a much bigger kind of task probably for that game than it was for, for subsequent games. But um, And I suppose there was this question mark, like we were there and looking at practice going, yeah, we think we're going to be competitive based on who we have and how we're playing but then we kind of had to see it happen and even like the the kind of the second half of that Navin game the kind of belief that like you know to go behind and come back and win it that was phenomenal and that gave us I suppose just the baseline to go all right you know if we play well and we play to the most of our potential or to get the most out of ourselves then we could probably be competitive with the teams in similar federations around Europe that are like ourselves and I suppose the next evolution for that then was like to play a game at home and that was like 
phenomenal home field advantage, especially in this four quarter that Navin game. You know, I don't think anyone who was there that night will ever forget the kind of atmosphere, especially as we were getting those scores in the third and fourth quarter. That was fantastic. And then to do that on the road again, you know, and kind of a bit more hostile and it felt a lot friendlier to kind of go and do that. So that was a kind of a, a next evolutionary step. And I suppose the next kind of evolutionary step that's natural for us now is to kind of do the same thing, but in a in not just in a friendly quote unquote context, but into a, a kind of a championship context. So yeah, look, and I suppose practice has has changed off the back of that then and practice is probably a lot different based on some of the stuff that Andy was saying there that I guess like a lot of guys were kind of coming into the team at that stage kind of being you know really good players in the league here and kind of maybe still trying to play the same way that they were playing and I think the kind of evolution of that has been that everybody realises that the talent around them was all pretty good and they can't do too much and you have to kind of play with more technique and play a bit more fundamentally sound as opposed to playing on the seat of your pants probably what guys were used to a little bit in club football and yeah. and it's really good to see like the guys who are coming back from playing away who've like who've definitely pushed on the technique side of it and, and you know on the individual side of it and, and playing really fundamentally sound and that's probably been the difference between them raising their game from being a really good club player to being an excellent player now and all the guys who've gone away and come back and, and done that and kind of maybe shine a light on it's not about like getting necessarily about getting bigger stronger faster it's probably about getting smarter and playing with better fun, fundamental playing with better technique and look i suppose going back to the original point of it we're, we're kind of are on this trail of kind of developing from game to game to game you know this game would be another completely different game probably to the other two every game would have a life of its own depending on you know the, the climate or the conditions on the day that's going to dictate it depending on injuries or whatever for different players and all that kind of stuff on both sides that'll dictate a lot of too but it does have a feel for us like that you know we feel like we can play with the teams that we're going to be playing against but it's just about getting the most out of ourselves and giving our best performance to give ourselves a chance to win those games now yeah and Brendan I want to just remain with you for a second because obviously I mean in that that second Belgium game I mean defense had a day because the Belgium scored and they scored six as well which means you stopped them PAT which is you're probably disrupting like quite a lot of their plays when you can do that. I actually think that a time where we saw that as well was in the, the recent bowl with UCD, where especially in the first half, the Rebels were getting off um, a few scores. You know, they were, they were scoring quite well. But again, the, the UCD defensive plan was working quite well because it was really a boomer bust type thing for the Rebels. And you saw that when it came to the points after that they were stopping mm. them then again on, on the next play. So, you know, defense really had a, a fantastic game against Belgium. You know, you'll obviously be hoping to do something similar again as the defensive coordinator and for context for anyone that's listening you know the coaching staff that we have here in this podcast is the same coaching staff that have been kind of with the Wolfhounds from the start which I think is fantastic and important actually so coming into a game where you have a limited knowledge of the offense that you're going to face against and I'm very cautious throughout this interview that we're not going into game plan we're not going into tactics for you know obvious reasons how do you prepare? Like, how do you prepare defensively for an offense that you know so little about? How do you do that game one of the season preparation? You can't get, I suppose, can't get too like focused on individual people or individual players or trying to, you know, dial in specifically on on a game plan, game plan based on what you've seen work for a team to date. Like, probably have to get a little bit more general and be a little bit more broadly sound and kind of have a lot more bases covered. You know, but that probably does you no know, harm then in, in the long run. But like I think we probably have a style or that we play 
I think kind of have to lean on that, maybe do some other things with it, but kind of have to lean on that, you know, and, and kind of be who as a whole kind of have to be some of the, the, the players and, and play the way like that that's going to get the most out of your, your players, I think. So like in a roundabout way, you kind of have to do the same, but be prepared to do anything, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, yeah, you know, but it's like, it's it's classic game one stuff, you know, it's classic game one where you're going, you know, oh, did these guys play last year? Yeah, but I, I think they have this guy, you know, might they might they might play, you know, something different this year. You're looking at a team like, and a lot of teams here have gone through evolutions where they've, you know, they've changed greatly from year to year and you get those teams in game one and you're trying to do your best against them. But yeah, look, I, it's the same as always. Like, you know, you're trying to be sound in what you're trying to do, have all your bases covered, but you try not to get away too much from, from who you really are and, and trying to let the guys play the way that they're good at playing as well and you know and and whatever about kind of evolving into different things and and doing different things you're, you're still trying to build on the kind of pieces the, the foundations that you have already and, and try and even if you go in different directions try and lever those to kind of to help elevate you a little bit more or but but still remain true to kind of who you have been to date yeah just if i can they're like brendan touched on it and andy's touched on it and we've mentioned it with the players playing overseas but like all teams the wolfhounds have developed a personality as well which is huge. Like it's not just a culture, but it's it's a, a living personality, and it, it happens through just the training and the opportunity for it to grow. But game one, we went behind in Navin, and the confidence didn't wane. So that's a personality trait and a, a strong one. You know, there was no kind of oh my god, what's going to happen? No, or are we going to go down the path of previous teams? You know, where you know another score, another this. No, it, the confidence didn't wane. We knew what we were doing. We knew what we had to do. We knew what we could rely on and. We could rely on each other and got the job done. And that, that carried over when we traveled. So like we traveled and it was not an easy journey, especially for the coaches. It was a, a tough place to go to. Weather conditions weren't ideal for some of the things we planned to do. But uh, again, the personality and the people there, the confidence was just um, and kind of supportiveness of each other. Like, you know, it's 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 huge. So we'll go into... <laughs> I think we'll like, go into so, Madrid and we'll just be, we, we, our personality will still carry us a good deal of the way in, as you need in any game when, when you're starting off. I mean, it, it's defensive coordinator's nightmare. It's like, but again, it's a defensive coordinator's lot as well, level of preparation that you have to do without the information that you'd like. It's kind of going back to the point about like how self-deprecating we are, as, you know, culturally is, as Irish people that we like, you know, we don't sometimes give ourselves the credit for things that we're good at and we kind of focus too often on, on how we think we should be doing better in other areas or how we think we should be more like other people. But I think it was like after the, the Belgium game and, you know, the head coach and Belgium coach Wood came over and was really complimentary about like just the attitude and regardless of skill or scheme, just about how our guys just loved playing football and you could see just that was our personality, you know what I mean? That, you know, they were football players and not like in it for the gram or, you know, in it for the wrong reasons. You know, they were there because they wanted to play football. That was the number one goal of it. Like guys just wanted to play at the highest competition that they could play with. And then you saw the trickle out of guys going out to find kind of find new homes or find places to develop after those games then, you know, across Europe. But personality wise, you could see that like our guys are tough they mightn't be bigger, stronger, faster than the other guys, but like they're going to put their head in it when they need to put their head in it. They're going to put their body in line when they need to put their body in line. But like we like to think they were doing it smart as well. But like the kind of the the absolute fundamentals of like the attitude and character you need to kind of play the game were there in spades. You know, in the two games we played already. You know, which is great. 
just a, a fact, a bit of stats for you. After that, this is how much of a day the defense had. To be totally honest, like we only won seven six. I wish the offense had played better, but but it didn't. But we got the win, and that's good enough in the long run. Apart from their first drive where they threw this big bomb for a touchdown, the defense had fifty total yards of offense. Sorry, the offense had fifty total yards for the remainder of the game. So that's like three, nearly an entire four quarters, because I think they had four plays, threw a long pass, got a touchdown, and then we absolutely shut them down. That was phenomenal. That's one of the best defensive days I think I've ever seen at a reasonably high level uh, from an Irish team. So we hope everybody did that. They signed you and to the long-term they, contract after that, Brendan. And there's another there's another element to it as well. So I think the attitude of our opponent changed between the two games as well. So we found in the second game that there was a lot more aggression and physicality. Like they were trying to match us on that front, which... Just going back to kind of moments like in games, you know, like there was moments in in like in Navin where we just like, you know, like we challenged them physically in the second half, particularly the way we ran the ball. 100% they weren't kind of, that was us saying that like we could physically play at this level that we're, you know, we might be a smaller nation, but like we're still going to be physically competitive enough to go and compete there. And the last play in that game when they just tried to really just muscle the ball over us for the two-point try, you know, no finesse involved to just tried to plow it over us but and, and didn't get didn't or weren't able to do that. So you know those things are all kind of I think are really important when you and, and are great to kind of give you confidence to go you're kind of building block on top of block and your foundation is kind of set. But like the foundation that we've set is really just kind of getting us to this table now. And you know, we're still it's not a kind of a, a case where you go, oh look Clash, look we've we've won two games, we're, we're never going to lose again. You know, we're fully aware that like we're the only team in this Group B competition who hasn't played a European Championship game before. We haven't played a, a competitive fixture or a championship fixture. So like we're still expecting that like, yeah, we've climbed levels on performance, but like there are higher levels that we're going to need to achieve to be still be successful in the games we're going to. Like that's an absolute given as well. It's not a, a kind of a pulling the wool over our eyes here that we're patting ourselves in the back and happy with what we've accomplished but I think the guys within the group kind of know that too and are happy to try and try and increase their own performance and try and get a bit more out of themselves to try and get to that level to be successful there but that is the goal though you know like the goal is to to stay competitive and and, and do our best to win these games more like we're, we're well aware that the competition is going to get stiffer and and the, and the challenge is going to be even greater the, the longer we stay at it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm loving this, to be honest. I'm loving kind of like, you know, glancing back, but like looking fully forward. You know what I mean? And it's so lovely to glance back. Like as you're talking about those Belgium games, they were just amazing. Like for me, I was there. I was reffing it. You know what I mean? So that was a huge reffing career highlight for me. Massive. A moment that... I loved two of them actually was this you know Andy Dennehy for like with the Rebels like passing the ball over to Sean Goldrick formerly with the Vikings like it was just iconic for touchdowns and they were what touchdowns they were they were absolutely amazing I think that actually Ray would have had probably a touchdown the other side only for um there was PI which I didn't throw by the way it was um Dave Considine threw that one and rightly so and don't worry Ray has told me about that afterwards and then uh, there was a point that, that would have been such a beautiful touchdown as well like that was it's like a 45 yard pass or something on the money and the guy interfered with him yeah. I kind of would have preferred that you know but still whatever yeah, 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 and then um, don't get, you know, don't get, don't get greedy, you know, Andy. Don't get greedy. I had, <laughs> had two in the bag that night. Yeah, 
it was an amazing day that day and it's so lovely to look to glance back at that but I also am so enjoying that you know you're not glancing back too hard at that either you're like that was fantastic but it was in the past like some of the best things we took from that is our character our attitude and I also love this idea of the of the the personality and even the way how the wolfhound suits because they're really like it's a dog personality you know what I mean and I love that and it's like even when you're behind it doesn't change anything like you're still gonna go out there and do your thing and then really focus them forward on on it's all there to still be achieved like it's all there for you like so Andy I mean the same question for yourself then you know offensively how do you prepare going into a game where you don't know what this defense is is going to look like it's the same everything that Brendan said so you can't make any assumptions but like Offense can be a bit more proactive. Defense, you're a little bit like you don't know what they're going to do. It's the same with offense, but we can kind of go out and put together like package of things we might do and sort of wing it a little bit and figure out, you know, what option works. Like Brendan said, you need to figure out what you want to do but also be able to do everything and then just sort of play our game and see how the game develops. And like, to be totally honest, having played in the Irish American Football League for 20 years, Sure, that's what we did most of the time anyway, you know, <laughs> especially <laughs> hey, like, so I've got loads of experience with this, like just wing it and see, but genuinely that's like, there is, you can have a method to improvisation on the day. Like, so, so that's what we said about like making sure that we're really, really good at improvising and figuring out what to lean into. And we might have a whole lot of stuff up our sleeve and it's about figuring out which 10% of that stuff you need to focus on more for this particular game. And there'll be things that you never even pull out of the bag because they're not relevant or they're not appropriate for the defense that you're facing. And also figure out ways of like, who are your playmakers? How do we get them the ball in space so they can make a play? Do you know what I mean? If we can find mismatches or something, you know, some chink in the armor that we can just ruthlessly exploit. But we won't know that in advance. So there's a little bit of like, figure out what is playing our game and, you know, set the tone right from the start and just take it from there. There is, um, if I can just come in there, like there's, you're talking to two of the best football minds on the island when you're talking to like Brendan and Andy here about this. But when you're preparing for a game and they're preparing for games like this, it's about putting stuff in the locker. So when a situation arrives, you have something you can go to prepared for X, Y and Z on the defense. You're prepared for the offense to come out maybe in whatever and not having the information. You still fill your locker with those weapons that can be selected as the game develops. And then understanding and like, this is brilliant with the the two coaches. And as I said, I have the best seat in football. I get to watch these guys work. It feels like it's been every week now, but it's great to watch how they interact with the team and get an understanding of what their players, what their units can do. And then being able to apply their knowledge through those players to the game, whether it's reacting in the case of, of defense, which has to react a little bit more, or the offensive strategy and so on. It's just phenomenal to watch. So again, a lot of planning comes down to the people. And I think, to be honest with you, like we're just blessed with the people that we have in those positions and the people they're working with. It's just phenomenal to watch. Completely. And, uh, I hope I have a good seat for a great game. <laughs> That's the dream. But just going back to Brendan, what you said there, What's the goal? And the goal is to, to stay competitive. But to stay competitive might mean so many different things. Like in the game against Belgium, where you kept them to, as Andy said, 52 yards, you most days aren't going to see that in, in a regular game. From a defensive point of view, what is the goal? What does success look like in this upcoming game? Is it limiting the limiting Spain to maybe one score a half or is it a complete shutout 
Is it forcing them to, to run the ball more? Is it getting them to air it out? How do you measure what staying competitive is? Just getting them to score one point less than our offense scores or our, or our team scores. That's that's it. Like, it's different things in different days. Like, you know, talking to someone after the, the ball game and someone lamenting the defense and the ball game was going, no, like, that was, you've got to take a, a different look at it when, you know, like, if you get two good offenses who are executing really well, it, it's just about, like, maybe one team can get the other team off the team off the field a few times. Second half of that game, UCD got a couple of stops in a row. Like, obviously, Rebels had their, had their plays and had their scores, but, like, UCD's defense were just able to give their team the advantage, you know, in the kind of the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth quarter to get them kind of two, three scores ahead, you know, or keep, you know, to stop Rebel scoring and their offense kept rolling. So like different days, it can just be different things. And you you could play the same game twice and someday it might be tough conditions, getting a turnover or two and, and keeping the team to a relatively low score. Or it might be like just in the middle of a shootout and just getting that, getting your guys off the field twice without giving up a score in the second half and your offense does enough to, to, to stay ahead. It really is just a matter of just, it's going to be different. Like Andy said, like being able to do everything and just be able to react and read the game as you're, as you're playing it. Like, and, and the answer definitely is just like, can we, can we score one point more than what they score over the end of it? Like, and, and that's, that's really incompatible. It's just, being in a giving your team a chance, you want to be just there in the game in four quarter with a chance to win it. That's that's competitive. But what we what we want, obviously, we want to score one point more than what they score at the at least one point more. You know. Yeah. So as long as Andy puts the numbers up on the scoreboard, you'll take care of the rest. <laughs> Don't be holding me now. Don't be making me or putting promises. <laughs> right no, but I, I, like I, I suppose, look, you know what you set out to do. Like you, obviously, you're going to be really greedy and you're going to go zero points zero yards you know five turnovers and towards in the defense that's what you want you know what I mean and have your dream game and or else like myself and coach Darrell Farrell keep on dreaming about this 2-0 game where we get into the shutout against each other and some team gets a safety and wins the game 2-0 <laughs> you know one of those games would be great but like being really being realistic like you know you want to be competitive you want your guys to be able to to, to you know set them up with chances to be successful whether it's our first down second or third down and you know and at the end of the day be able to gauge the game and and play within the kind of parameters of the game, you know, and, and they will change depending on how the game is going as well. So, like, yeah, the answer really is like just to stay competitive in that, like, you're in it with a chance to win it at the end of the game, and that's all you can ask for. And then, like, just hopefully you put your guys in good enough positions that they can make plays in the fourth quarter to to kind of to to bring it home or to you know to to finish it out or whatever it may be. But like going back to like the second Belgium game, like. You know, I remember the three of us having a chat half time in the game and kind of going, you know, about the kind of how the game was going. And we all felt like, you know, even though probably you know Andy wasn't super happy with the offensive production the first half, but like there was no kind of panic there. We we still felt that that was a game that we could, if we got to ten or fourteen points that we we'd probably win it. We could get to like seven, that we'd have a good chance of winning. Like we felt pretty confident at half time that we had a good hold on the game. They were going to have to do something to kind of to shift the game, but we were hoping it would. So. But that was very different to Navin, like where the guys had to go and score like 14 points in the second half, like to, just to be give us a chance to to win the game, you know. And and there was times in the second half of that game where we kind of felt maybe we were holding on a little bit on defense as opposed to being in complete control of the game. So and that was the same team, like 12 months apart, you know what I mean? Where yeah. one were going, you know, they were completing balls in in that game that they weren't completing in the second game. And I think you can get kind of too caught up in in some of the numbers sometimes afterwards. That every game has a kind of a story of the game as well. You know, and in that game, like I would point back to like huge part in the second game in Belgium was like we'd no turnovers in that game. 
we ran the ball a lot better than they did in that game as well. Even though we didn't go out and score 40 points in the game, we still set ourselves up in that second half to limit the opportunities that they had. We owned the ball for a lot more than they did. And we crucially, they turned it over two or three times in the second half where we didn't, which is probably why we won that game in the end. Not necessarily that we that we got the score we got, but that we we probably just got the few turnovers that gave us the field position or and that we got the few chances or that we limited the few chances they had in the second half. Once they went behind, you know, we were very stingy with time and that you could feel the frustration from them in the second half of that game when they were they wanted more opportunities that they that they really just didn't get because of the way we, you know, just kind of had the kind of the news just to kind of to, to, to play the game that that was given to us or dealt to us and, and kind of get it over or get across the line on that one. So yeah, look. Different strokes for different folk, different horses for different courses, different things and different days. But the answer is always just one point more than what they have at the end of the game. Uh, Brandon, I had no doubt in Navin at any time. I can't believe you lost faith. <laughs> no, <laughs> never lost faith, but it was a different challenge, though, completely. Do you know what I mean? Like the second half of that game, like we had to find something. The challenge was there for our fans to find something in the second half of that game that we found. Like we definitely started, we ran the ball a lot better and that probably opened up some things. And in the second half of the game, probably over there in, in Bruges, like they, the challenge was there for them to try and do something and they they just didn't connect on a few things that they tried, whereas we did connect in, in Navin. And, you know, that's not to say we were a million times better than them or they were a hundred times worse than us or anything like that. Just, it usually yeah. comes down to a few players in the game and we connected on the few players in Navin to get us to get us ahead and get us back into it. And we adjusted probably better than in the first half or second half of that game in Evan. The day adjusted in the second half of the game in, in, in Bruges. Yeah, definitely. And I, it was Paddy Sweeney's int that set us up. Yeah. With the field. Yeah. I've actually, Paddy, I've mentioned him, I think, every time I've been on the podcast, just by chance. So <laughs> I had to get that. It's, it's relevant. You're talking about the, the key plays because it was like another part of the amazing defensive performance. But we did go into that game, I think, with a realistic appraisal of our own situation on how we matched up against them and we were thinking about field position very 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 important of like the offense move the ball chunk away get some field position and eventually the you know we'll set ourselves up in a good position to score and then once we got that lead we just it was it was kind of play keep away uh and there was some yeah. amazing special teams in fact uh the punter first time i've ever seen it the punter was the mvp now it's tom donovan right of all people to like you know he's obviously an animal player as well yeah. but he was like punting at 60 yards down the field and we had sean douglas uh and kick coverage and if they did catch it dougie was tackling them immediately so we were flipping the field it was a really really good team performance low scoring obviously right so as, as an offensive guy that sucks but I like winning football and it really, really like there was an intentional game plan going into that, which I think we executed extremely well. Yeah. Plus, I regret that we didn't have this podcast back then, you know, <laughs> to talk about it, but we have it now. So like it, it's, it's probably, just. It's, it's probably been a part of the evolution of the whole league, though, and that Kelly as well, like that, you know, like the community has probably definitely grown stronger within the league since those games as well. Like I hadn't been coaching that long before then like I was only kind of my, maybe my third year coaching and I played a few years before that but the interaction between different players and different clubs and you know and all that now is is at a completely different level to what it was before like the community has gone way way strong between the teams and you know or between the clubs within the league you know I think is is, is much much tighter now and there's a lot more a lot more conversations between coaches and players and stuff in season maybe it wasn't there before I know Andy's probably a better place to kind of to comment to this one now but it feels like that to me, and maybe it's just me in my position that I got to know more people through the Wolfhounds, but like it, 
seems like the community is a lot stronger now than what it was. No, I I, I, I completely I, agree I, with that. Again, like a supporter, a friend or whatever. But, you know, my friends, my playing friends that are going out there and they, you know, it was always like teams were silos almost, you know, team. It was kind of us and feck everyone else and that's it. And you'd have the odd one or two players that, you know, some like uh can remember have Sean Sheehy, who was he he was a DB on the the Team Ireland anyway for sure. I, I can't remember if he was on Wolfhounds was Team Ireland anyway for sure. Yeah, he against... yeah, he he started a corner in Avon. He was on the squad in Belgium as well. He yeah. did start on corner yeah. in Avon. Actually, he did. Yeah. yeah, he did. He did. And but you I had to get remember... the old, you had to get you had to get the old dig in there somewhere. Or the old pops in there somewhere. I, know, home, yeah. you know? <laughs> I, I had that phrased appropriately. Did he play? Yeah. No way. He did, did he play? Or not? Yeah, of course he did. <laughs> but, posters on the other wall, like a big poster. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know it's so funny because I mean like I've been you know part of the Mavericks as um has uh, I was robbed I got me in playing flag with them and you know I've, I've had like I mean I, I haven't even lived near Limerick for years but still there's just something something about it is such a such a fantastic and that's I mean that's how myself and Kieran that's how we know each other is way back when you know it was a 10 odd years ago that we we got chatting on on the sidelines of a few uh Vikings games but um Anyway, you'd get the odd, you get like, let's say Sean Sheehy coming back after playing the Trojans when they were on their first mad run, you know, and he'd be going up against the likes of Dave Richardson or whatever. And um, he'd come back and we'd be like, Sean, like, what are you doing? Like, punch him in the gut or, you know what I mean? Do something like this. Ah, no, 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 no. You have to respect him. Like, do you know what I mean? And this was the first talk of respecting another player out on the pitch, you know, and um. If since then it just has changed so so much like I mean I really feel like the guys they're they're friends like they get on so well they just it totally clicked like all these guys that were ready to get to know each other and ready to meet at that kind of higher level the Wolfhounds has given them that opportunity to do that and it really has has been so fantastic that I really I mean I can't support that that point enough that we really have gotten to a stage where it has become a community and I think that the Wolfhounds has been a huge part of doing that the next question that I wanted to ask was Andy so as offensive coordinator you know um, who the QB is going to be at this point without mentioning any names we're being quiet on the names I mean that is a a competitive position I think maybe this season more so than than other seasons but you know who the guy is why this guy oh uh, no really, really good question so yeah our QB room this for this game being spicier I think than it, than it ever has you know really really a lot of competition some amazing quarterbacks which is awesome for the game in Ireland because if you go back not very long it's a serious like drought drought of QBs so this guy I'm trying to figure out what can I say without giving anything away. So I'm, I'm kind of reluctant, but I can tell you something about him that that, that I won't reveal to a Spanish coach <laughs> and who he is. They're a very he was inquisitive actually, crowd. Yeah, yeah. He was actually the starter, starting quarterback for the last under-20s game, uh, Wolfhounds under-20s game, which didn't happen. So there was supposed to be a game we were playing, and it was, we did the training sessions and everything, and... On the weekend of the game, there was this insane storm and all the flights were grounded. So the team that was going to come over to play us didn't come. But this guy had made it as a he was part of the, the youth setup for a while and he had been he'd earned his spot as as starting QB from the 20s. So I'm really glad he's finally getting to to play to get his he's finally getting a start. It just took a while longer. But he's he's really got a lot of the attributes that we're looking for in a QB. Like really, you know, he's he's athletic, he's 
he, he kind of throw from multiple arm angles, which is super impressive. He's able to process the game extremely fast. And when and you can kind of tell, well, you know, this is one of the things I look for. It seems more effortless and seems simpler. And one of the difficult things as a QB, particularly if you if you don't have that much experience, is getting to the point where the game slows down for you. And you can tell QBs who are too much in their head and they're thinking and they're processing. You have to get to a point where you're not thinking, right? Yeah. And, and that, that happens through mental reps. Uh, for me, it was just like sitting on a bus, thinking about football and kind of running through scenarios in my head, uh, drawing things on bits of paper. But you're trying to get to that point. So when you're in the play, it just happens. And it's a reaction and there's, there's no thinking. So you can be really fast. You know, as soon as the ball is ready, it's out. Instead of going, oh, well, what if the guy over on the other side of the field is more open than this guy I'm looking at right now? Let me just check. And you look over to your side and he's not more open. By the time you look back, the first guy isn't open anymore. You know, you have to be able to be super decisive and get to that point where it's really simplified. And he has all of those attributes. He's just got great chemistry with the players. He can make any throw that we need him to make. Yeah, yeah really happy with him. And he's only young. You know, he's, he's only a young lad and really kind of plays with a freedom of expression that, uh, you know, I haven't really seen in quarterbacks in Ireland, to be totally honest. I'm, I'm extremely impressed with him. Like, like I said, I've known him for, for a good few years. And he was decent back then. He had a habit of the nose of the ball went down a lot when he threw it. I remember talking about that. Like, he'd throw it and go nose down. And it would travel, but eventually die in him. If he's trying to throw, like, a sideline route, where the ball has to travel, it might be 10 yards downfield, but it's about a 30, 35-yard pass when you factor in you're going across the field, you know. It would t- die in him a lot because his nose down, so aerodynamics would bring it. Little things like that, but that's all gone. Now he's got the sort of flick of his wrist. He can throw it, like, 60 yards on the money. Like, it's it's awesome. He's, like, he's a really, really great weapon. Like I said, all of the QBs were extremely good. And going into this, I didn't know who it was going to be at all. I really couldn't pick it, you know. Like we had the Shamrock Bowl winning quarterback, the QB who accounted for the most touchdowns in total, passing and running in the league this year. Mm. Uh, we had, we also had the incumbent quarterback. Yep. Uh, I mean, this guy. So I suppose the incumbent starter of the the twenties in a sense. So I really couldn't couldn't have told you, and there really wasn't much in it when it came down to it. But we decided who we're gonna go with, and we went all in on them. And then we just had like a weekend training camp. And we had to get to QB1 before that so we could focus all the reps on who QB1 was. So they get all the reps with the sort of with the A's, if you know what I mean. So we develop a chemistry and uh, he just got better and better as it went on. Just I'm super happy to see that. And ha- I'm happy for him. I didn't have a bias for him going into it at all, but it's really played it very well. And the fact that he's young, you know, in fact, all of them are young. Uh, I'm saying, you know, like I played the Navin game when I was 40. <laughs> so I, I don't think any of them are even 30 yet. So that's, you know, bodes well. They all have at least 10 years left in like Yeah, it's amazing. It's actually amazing. It's, it's great going gonna, forward. It's interesting that we're having a conversation about a QB room and like the, yes. the level in that room and the confidence we have in every player in that room is phenomenal, which made the decision like wasn't straightforward. It was, well, it had to be a process basically for us to get to where we can name a QB1 but just the work of like Coach Lawless working with the QBs Coach Dennehy you asked a QB a question about QBs that's a that's going to be filling all your time now for the rest of the podcast for sure for sure but it's like no it's it's just phenomenal to have that that kind of thing and when we talk about a QB room it's a genuine room and it, it is like it's amazing to watch again best seat in football watching a QB room develop it's just amazing 
Yeah, yeah, it is. Kelly, I for one have not enjoyed the UB competition this year. I'll just, I'll just say that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Which is a good sign. Yeah. Good sign for somebody. Good sign yeah. for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. But it has been it has been great though across the board. Like just competition in general practice has been phenomenal. It's always great like to to get to the kind of, you know, get to the, these kind of crunch kind of sessions in the lead up to games and just see like you know, I often comment on it after the field, after practice. Like, it's just sometimes you just you're you're watching the play and like you just pinch yourself and go like, just like holy shit, that's fast. Everybody's fast. Everything is good. Just the level is great. Like, so it's good to see. You know, just guys competing in a competition. I think just QB competition has been outstanding to watch in this camp. It's been really, really good. The level of competition there and the level of production from all of them has been very good as well. So, and we'll have a starter here, but like I think that's probably a competition that will that will run. And I think it's a kind of a sign that like. There's other good young QBs are going to come into the mix based on the way football has been played in Ireland at the moment as well. So, you know, I'm pretty sure that room will stay fairly spicy for, for years to come. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. So no returns of uh, Coach Danahy just yet. That's what I'm hearing there. No, it's no, those that's <laughs> that's just we'll not the note. I swear, like my, my knees don't work. If my knees did work <laughs> I would be so tempted you know I'd be kind of going yeah. I, I'll bring me kit just in case you know that's sort of yeah. that like. guy. yeah because yeah, I, I never got to be that guy because I just kind of kept playing and then as soon as I stopped knees stopped working but I hadn't do I played with loads of people who would turn up to watch the game and they'd always be on the sideline you'd be there on the sideline and they'd come up and go I brought me kid Andy just just in case <laughs> you're not even registered to play dude like you can't but I never got to be that guy you know, so give me a couple of years, get my knees sorted, and and we'll see. <laughs> it could be a last minute audible there in yeah. in Madrid yeah. on the twenty second of October. So it could be. <laughs> I was just absolutely enamored there by your like love of you, again, and you know, <laughs> podcast is meant to be about the Wolfhounds, but as usual, things kind of go back to Limerick. So, guys, we have the senior. Wolfhounds team, which has just gone from strength to strength over the past few years with coaching continuity, uh, increase in player numbers from both the domestic league and abroad. We've also seen the rise of youth football in Ireland. Many former youth players make it on to the to their senior teams. But will there be in the near future uh, a Wolfhounds youth team coming up and would that be a matter that you would be involved in, or would that be more of a policymaker and and directors of football here? I think um, I'm probably best placed to sort of answer this or, or, or move it in the right direction. So one of the things with the senior team was to move it from playing friendly games, which in an early version of the team was against NCAA teams. So we were playing friendlies against visiting teams and sort of got together every time there was something like that to get into a a competition, a sanctioned competition. It'd be fairly similar for youth football. But what we have now is we have the experience of bringing a senior team from one of those sort of journeyman exhibition type of all-star teams into a bona fide European Championship team. So we have that experience of transitioning across. Initially, the plan was to have a youth football team so competing and to aim for um, competitive football again a couple of things happened there one i think was youth football the age bracket in youth football is kind of not matching what we see in european competition so the youth football we have has kind of got a different age level so it's finding a way for that to work 
while at the same time increasing the pool of players in that group and in- increasing the competition that they have. So it was natural for the expansive growth. Don't forget that we went from being sort of the all-star team Ireland in 2004 five to what we have now at the same time as the number of teams multiplied, the number of players on the field multiplied, the number of coaches multiplied. Youth football here is still in its infancy. And probably one of the most detrimental things we could do is, is to take those guys who've got a, a, a short playing span in terms of, you know, you age out of youth football, you don't know the senior, and throwing them into a cauldron of European competition. We'd nearly be having all four, five, six youth teams, even as it grows, just there solely for the purpose of putting a team together to compete. That's not what it should be for youth football at all. It should be about playing football. It should be about getting experience. It should be a positive thing, uh, retaining players going forward. We had youth football in, in the Cork Admirals going way back. And I know at least one of those guys is still involved in football at, at our highest level. So more than just putting a team together, it's got to be put together right. It's got to have a reason and a goal and an objective and a plan as to where it's going to go. And it has to, again, like the driver for this shouldn't necessarily be the Wolfhounds. It should be the youth football teams themselves. We were at a training. One of our training sessions coincided with the Rod Woodson Clinic weekend. And on the Saturday, in the worst conditions that we've trained in, and we've trained in some bad conditions, the youth clinic happened. And there were just so many young Irish players there. And even in the crap weather, it was really like positive and heartwarming to look at these guys and the potential there and the whole lot but it has to come from the club like the clubs have to they have to get more games they have to get more experience and more competition and and the clubs who are plowing ahead with it at the moment are doing a phenomenal job but we need more youth football to be able to reasonably sustain a, a youth team and if you start to add up the numbers of somebody playing football in, if we were to enter European competition or to find an opponent at you football, and you just start to count up the number of games somebody has played, the number of like minutes they've spent on a football field in competition. And a lot of our youth players would go through a youth football or career in, you know, and this is not being critical. This is just looking at it practically and, and health and safety in mind. In one season, an overseas youth player would play more football than somebody in an entire career youth football would hear. You know, that's something that we have to, we have to come closer to, to bridging. We have to get, we don't have an established youth football league, but we're talking about an international team. And we want an international youth team. We, we see the benefit of it in the clubs who have it. Like, you know, you can see the players who feed into their senior teams. I spoke already about when we got that youth team together to play against the Canadians. And all those players went on to have established themselves with their clubs up and down the whole island. So there are benefits there, and but you have to be in the, in, in the right place to be able to do it. And there probably would be an opportunity for similar games like the Canadian game. There would be an opportunity for, um, you know, playing up against maybe not American competition, maybe American competition, but and getting something together for people just to give them a, a flavor of what can happen. But in terms of competing in European football at that at underage level, that's a bit of a step that we yeah. have to we have to get to. 
Yeah, and I think that's very well answered actually and it does put it it's it's everything it's even female participation all of it has to be grassroots it's club club first and you know i think uh andre barlava who's the the director of youth and before him it was it was bill with the the minotaurs i mean they they're doing fantastic and they're hopefully bringing it to where it needs to go but yeah i, I agree with you it's a uh, it's grassroots what? before but you can see where it's going when, you know, if you saw the guys on the field, so the coaches on the field who were helping on that Woodson, they were youth football coaches. They weren't like senior coaches, you know, pulled in to kind of do a job. They were youth coaches. The kids who travelled up on that day travelled, you know, two or three hours to spend five and six hours in the pouring rain to better their game. And at the end of it, they had like this um, massive, almost like obstacle course relay race thing going on. And like the energy levels at that time of the day were through the roof after something you wouldn't put a navy seal through like weather wise <laughs> and um you know those guys were were exceptional and like they're going to have a massive impact on football and you know going forward it's just going to be brilliant and i'd love to have something there for them to go out and express themselves internationally and buy into the positive stuff that the wolfhounds brand can bring like across even across flag football and and, and other things like it'd be you know just fantastic like to get that going at, at a younger age but I think we need to, we're, we're at the walking stage. You now we probably need to learn to run and then we learn to sprint. And um, when we get there, it, you know, there'll be a wolf ounce for them to not just work back down to their age group, but also for them to graduate into. And, um, you know, there's, there's nothing better than getting a player who's being coached from a young age and they've got all the football knowledge just embedded in, into their hard drive. It's, it's just a big difference. It is, yeah. I mean, I think uh, Owen Chandler, is that his name? The youth football player from the Cork Admirals, who I think he was the the quarterback. And then he was, um, was he doing a job on defense then, then this year? And I mean, he was, he was brilliant. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. yeah look, he's, look, he's just an example, I suppose, of, of you come into, into youth football at, you know, 16, 17 or 15 years. You get a great chance to kind of get a good foundation in it, get good coaching, play good competitive games with with people who are the same age as you, same strength as you. And yeah, look, and someone like Chan Odin, like, you know, played linebacker and a quarterback with the youths, came straight in and, you know, started a strong safety for us all year, had a phenomenal year, you know, yeah. scored, sacks, picks, you know, tackles for loss. You know, obviously, great future ahead of him in the game. But like, just probably one of, just speaking from the Admiral's example over the last couple of years, like we've had a channel every year for the last four or five years to come off the youths, you know, or a couple of them in in, in a couple of years and, and the year we won it, you know, obviously we've we've I've often spoken about how many guys had tra- who had transitioned from youth players the season previous or two years previous and had, and had played for us or started for us in, in that year, like, you know, we'd, we'd a huge amount of guys involved and yeah, look, it, but it, it is a huge effort in the club to keep that going because it does turn it into a 12 months of the calendar type gig. So like guys like Coach Lamazny who's keeping it going or Coach Lennon, Coach Coyley, Coach Asini in, in the Admirals, you know, they, they don't get a break for football for the year. So it is a big push within the club to keep that going. And I think as a whole, COVID, you know, has slowed a lot of things down. Uh, youth football numbers were definitely stronger pre-COVID. So I think the, the clubs that have got back involved with youths this year, like the Knights and the Trojans and the Panthers and the Vipers, you know, they've obviously done a great job to keep it going. And, you know, I think more teams will benefit out of it because, it, you know, if we had youth football this year, or having a strong youth football league this year and the work that Andre's doing as well to keep going on, the work that Bill Doherty had done before, they have the kind of infrastructure there now that they can, that we can keep on, that we can keep on going with it. And I think it is important because like coach was saying, like it would be phenomenal to have, 
you know, an under-20 Wolfhound set up, but we do need, obviously, to, to grow the numbers playing at that age probably more to make it happen. And, you know, that's going to happen through probably supporting the clubs to get it from, like, five teams to 10 teams to 12 teams playing youth football. If you get to the, into that kind of realm, like, yeah, you're, you're probably talking you have the numbers in times critical mass to go and play it. But any club who's thinking about youth, and I know Al has been on plenty of times and talked about it, and Bill and Andre spoke about it as well, but, like, just, you know, if your club is thinking about it this time of year, just just reach out to somebody who's played before, reach out to the Admirals or reach out to the Panthers or reach out to someone who's been involved in youth football. If you have questions, you know, every club who's playing youth football would love to see more youth teams playing and would, would be happy to talk to you. And I know um, Al has definitely helped, you know, talk to other clubs about getting started and getting going before. So, you know, the, the, club, the clubs who are participating obviously want to see it grow and, and, and you know, and, and it is, um, it's it's going to just be nothing but positive for the whole sport of the island. That, you know, it's stronger, the, the youth league is yeah. One thing just before we go, because we've, we've dropped a couple of names there that are, are really important. So Coach Hardy and what he's done with the Minotaurs, they had a phenomenal achievement this year, not just being promoted, but they also beat a travelling American team this year. Yeah, they which, did. Yeah. You know, that's that's kind of exceptional. And there were young guys playing on that team that played with um, an Ireland U team in the past and were involved in U football as well locally. So, like, the dividends are there to see for people, you know, for clubs. I know some clubs, college clubs and stuff like that are just naturally exempt from, you know, that type of activity. But, um, you know, it's it's tough work. It's 12 months of the year, but you're getting diamonds at the end of all that mining. And it's, it's worth mining for diamonds every day of the week. It is indeed. Rob, you had a, a second question there about um, scouting player selection, youth players and even players from Division 1, Division 2. So as anyone who's follows us on the social media platforms, you know, we had a thing up from the audience, you know, if there was any questions that they wanted us to ask the coaches coming in. I think, Kelly, you know yourself, one of the most frequent things is how can I get noticed? A lot of players would love the opportunity. You know, you're you're doing an interview here with two people who would, if the, if the call came for them, would happily pull on the Wolfhounds jersey for you. But Many players throughout the league want to know what sort of the the coaching or the scouting system is. What can they do to increase their chances of getting noticed by you guys, and therefore improve their chances of getting that illustrious call up? Uh, yeah, I'll, look, I'll start with this one. So, yeah, for what's the scouting process? I think as a group of coaches, we'll we'll scout in different ways between us and we got positional coaches who are like geographically located all over Ireland so there's a certain amount of the, you know guys who are close to a game that's going on will go and physically see it personally I'm not even in the country but I see like this year I saw nearly every single premier division game right so there's a whole lot of scale. I know your question is about what happens if you're not in the premier division or you're not one of the top teams so you're not on a televised shamrock bowl or whatever send tape is the best way. If you send tape to us, we'll review it. I watched, and I know some of the offensive positional coaches and probably some on the defensive side as well. I watched the IAFL one bowl. There's there's obviously fewer opportunities to watch those games. So if you can get some tape and send it to us, that'll help. But it's just to address the like, is that not biased uh, question? Well, first of all, probably the top premier division teams, probably more likely to have more top players than teams in lower divisions. That's that's just yeah. part of it. That's, that's kind of obvious, right? But as well as that, if people are coming, we've got players who are playing abroad, 
we can't go on scale every single game in Europe. <laughs> they have exactly the same opportunity as people who are in IFL 1. In fact, IFL 1 probably have more because we'd be watching the games that we can get to and watching the games that are, that are streamed. I watched the stream from, from Amsterdam. I watched the stream of the IFL 1 ball. Cut off, though. I didn't see all of it. I think it cut <laughs> off half. But anyway, I watched it. So if you can get tape, send it to, to us. We'll review it. We'll either, you know, if you're not called up, you'll be given some feedback. That's, that's just what we do. On top of that, we've started organizing uh, sort of clinics because we've thought about this as well. Like, how do we get more guys in the radar? How do we set up something that's like more fair, equitable, but also to sort of grow the market, like grow, grow the pool of eligible players? What we saw sometimes is guys who were good athletes would turn up to, we'd call them for the Wolfhounds, but their technique or just their level of football knowledge was too far off the mark. And we don't, as Wolfhound national team, we need to coach guys who are already up at a really high level, basically just how they fit into our system. And sometimes there is a lot of coaching for a player who hasn't kind of learned to play football that way. But we can't coach someone up from a rookie level how to play football. We just can't. We don't have the time. So we've kind of been like, oh, shit, what do we do for these guys who are really good athletes, but they're raw? So we started setting these clinics and inviting people to it. And it gives us a sort of a twofer. You know, we get guys in the radar and we get the opportunity to kind of give them some technique and skills that they can take back. So between all that, I think if you're good enough and if you take advantage of those opportunities that are there and you might have to do some work yourself proactively to contact us, there's plenty of opportunity for everybody at every level in the country and people even playing abroad. There's just one kind of missing ingredient in all of this. And this is this is the case, right? If your ambition is to be a Wolfhound, then you got to start playing and behaving like a Wolfhound, regardless of which club you're in. And you will get noticed. So if somebody is doing a, a hell of a job, we're not living on, we're not living in Texas or Alaska or someplace where we don't know each other. Um, we know each other and, you know, it's a fairly tight football community. And if you're making waves and doing the right things with your club, regardless of where you are on this island, it's going to filter back to us. Here's another thing as well. The number of people who don't have tape is like people contact us and they're like, you know, like send tape. We don't have tape. We know that, what that's a football do. fundamental. People have been cutting tape in the United States since the 1940s. Back in my day, going around to, to games and filming games was a lonely obsession at one stage. But now you're likely to find more camera people and, and people scouting from other teams as well as self-scouting at games. So if, if there's not tape for your game, get somebody to film it. And I'm going to be even more... You know, I'm not talking about getting RTE to come out with like seven cameras and, you know, Marty Morrissey to do the commentary or anything. I'm talking <laughs> about if you get one person who's traveling to see you play, film what you're doing, if you're interested in progressing, get them to do that. Because that's what we want to see anyway. We don't necessarily, if, we, if we're looking, if you want to put yourself forward as a defensive lineman, we want to see what you're doing on the defensive line. Get somebody there. Get them close enough. I mean, we don't operate in big stands and stadiums. We have the respect barriers and there's ways to work within the respect barriers that are set out in the bylaws and get somebody to film you. If you have that ambition, if you've got that drive, get yourself filmed, get it in. Coach Dennehy, Coach Kelleher, all of our positional coaches, there's nothing we like better than new talent. We're crying out for it all the time. And, you know, if we get footage in. Interestingly, we put out a call for long snappers and some of the guys didn't have footage along snapping. It's not, it's it's not a, there's not a whole lot of that element of special teams happening in the country, you know, which is fair enough. So we had people go away and in between contacting us initially and then submitting footage, they went out and they long snapped. 
in various ways to, to people they knew. One was a coffee table turned upside down, positioned 15 yards behind him with a camera running and hitting that every single time. It was like chopping wood. It was it was amazing. And like we're not looking for ESPN footage. We're looking for film of you that we can see what you're doing. And it's it's not highly technical, and that's all it's all we need. And once you're on our radar, if you're doing the right things, it's not a, not a short jump to go from that to, to being a wolfhound, to be honest. There's a really easy answer to this, Kelly. It's that Andy has evaluated every game of football that ever happened on the island of Ireland. So I just go to one of his spreadsheets, go to the top, <laughs> find the names and, and plug them in. You know? It's <laughs> so true. Yeah. Like, I, just like... the, I, I export the domestic game fantasy uh <laughs> <laughs> fantasy picks every week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're just doing our part, you know, for the Wolfhound selection there. That's that's what that was all about. <laughs> but um, no, you know, rightly, Andy has watched every single every single game that has happened in AFI. Like, there's no doubt, and I've seen pictures of the spreadsheets. I'm jealous of the spreadsheet. Actually, I'm trying. I'm looking at Andy's spreadsheets, and I'm like. How do these maths work? Because I want to replicate that exactly that and just and just do that. Like so, yeah, no, it's that would be well known. The scouting methods of Andy Dennehy are, are I think, well revered um, across across the island. Um, Rob, you were going to say something. Yeah, no, we're just going on there. Like we're we're so, but when you're talking about the the likes of the clinics that you have for for players, it brings up the standard of the Irish game. One thing that we seem to lack, though, is for a lot of teams, is actual coaches. We've all seen teams where you've got one guy who is the head coach, the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, kit manager. You know, some of them even drive the buses to and from games. What the question I really want to know is for people who are interested in getting into the coaching stream of things, is there the the opportunity for, say, even shadowing the likes of yourselves? Or that possibly you would in future be looking to run clinics to to help with that sort of end of things. Coach Kieran, your yeah. hand straight up and in there. That came up on the Instagram feed as well. Okay, coaching. so here, here's yeah. here's the deal with um with coaching. So we've um we have an open door policy for Irish coaches, and we always have. So if an Irish coach wants to attend our sessions, they can attend our meetings. They can attend. All they have to do is just contact me. Let me know in advance. We let the guys know. You know, we've got visiting coaches today. I've done that. I've publicized it at AGMs. I've gone out of my way to do it. I did it when I was coaching at Limerick when there was a development league there. And I said, I opened, I said, look, come down, see what we're doing. If you want to, you can sit on meetings, playbooks, the whole lot. So we have an open door policy on people coming down. And, and like, it's not just a, oh, you stand over there by a fence. Like you will be dragged into it. You bring your boots, bring your whistle. You will be carrying cones and doing stuff if you do come down. Very little uptake on it, but that's fine. If one person wants to take advantage of an opportunity like that, that suits us. And ironically enough, uh, just like the clinics, it works two ways. So we're getting how we do things and our scheme out there to another club. If some if coaches from a club show up, they get to see how we do things, which makes it easier for their players to transition into our team if you know if they reach that level. So that's that's a win. And the second thing is we get to see coaches because as much as we need players, we also need yeah. to fill coaching spots and assisting coaching spots. And there's a progression there. So we've had two guys who've been helping us previously are now part of the coaching staff. They put in the work, they showed up. There was no asks. There was no kind of, you know, oh, we'll do it if we get X, Y, and Z. And their attitude was fantastic. And the work they did was fantastic. 
and there are no full-on Wolfhounds coaches for this for this trip to Spain. So it's a two-way street. We have an open-door policy. If people have questions, they can come to us. If people want to visit our training sessions, they can just give us a notice in advance. There is a structure to what we do. So it's not just a, a case of just rocking up in the morning. We, we're, we're at a, a fairly high-level facility where there's like security and all sorts of other concerns and protocols that we have to follow. So we'll just make sure that everybody's inducted correctly and it's a very positive thing. So there is opportunities there for people who are not involved in coaching at all at the moment and thinking about getting involved, get to a club because I guarantee any club in the country is just going to bite your hand off and you might have to start like every single coach ever does. You start at the very beginning, you start at the lowest rung of the ladder, you start setting up cones for somebody, you start dragging tackle shields from a container half a mile down the road through a muddy field like everybody does and you just get out there and coach and um it's the same in every sport you know that's 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 the start of it but yeah we're open to welcome anybody who wants to see what we do except spanish coaches at the moment (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) i did however invite the belgian coach to our training sessions after we set up the games i was like yeah if you want to come along and see what we do and um, he nearly fell over backwards so would have been interesting if he showed up yeah, it would have been great. Why not? Why not? We probably have to start wrapping this up. So, Rob, do you have any other burning questions that you want to ask? I think that, like, from from what I wanted to get through, I've managed to ask you all that in between, Kelly. I think it's great <laughs> that you have such a an open door policy. If people want to get involved, to just get in contact, and that you will find a place for them to help out in any way they can. With the regards to players who want to get noticed, how we don't have, I know we bang the drum here sometimes, but oh, every team should have this, every team should have that. But you don't have to make it that complicated. If you have a parent, a friend, a family member, even someone you just put off the street, just to get them to film you and get that game footage, it's going to be such a help for for their development of the game and even for the their clubs and for the, the Wolfhound setup. So... Guys, I am absolutely delighted to have this opportunity to be with you. I'm sure Kelly's the same. If she's any burning questions, I'll just leave her with the mic. Like for me, Rob, you're asking me if I have any more questions. Of course, I could ask questions for hours. Like I'm good to go. I'm good to go for another three hours. But I mean, I suppose we better we better finish it off here and um, we'll 100% get you guys on again because we're not even half done on this what more is there to say only absolutely best of luck on the 22nd of October I hope you get it done I know you're going to do us proud win lose draw it's it's going to be fantastic and the whole country and all around Europe is is supporting you lads. so so fair play to you thanks guys cheers guys thanks thanks Kelly thanks thanks Rob and just a reminder for everyone listen that Wolfhound's official merchandise and jerseys are actually on sale now so if you want to get yours before the game on the 22nd, make sure to put in those orders. And the game itself is actually being streamed live online, the link for which will be posted on all of our socials in the lead up to the game and on the day itself. So from everyone here at the Domestic Game Podcast, we've been your hosts, Kelly Dwyer. And I'm Robbie Caldwell. Peace. Peace.